Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look in the book of Revelation and finish up Revelation today. And it is a good Christmas message as well, because we're going to look at several thousand years period, different different dispensations as such. We will see and remember the purpose of this book. The purpose of the book, we saw this from the very beginning, was to reveal Jesus Christ. All of this shows Christ. Our world is remembering Christmas and it was the first coming of Christ. And we saw last week that sometimes singing the words to joy to the world, that that is actually was written and refers to the second coming of Christ, the return of Him in His majesty and in His glory and in all of those the great things that we see. So let's begin by reading in chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, verses 1 through 8. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's stop right there. And looking at all of these things, and we're seeing this great dispensation, this final age, the heaven age, the age when there is a new heaven and a new earth. My daughter Rebecca got this book for me. It's called A Theology for Today. And looking at that, I began to read the, about this man, Elmer Towns. I didn't know who Elmer Towns was. Hadn't heard anything about him. 
And it's a really good book. And as I was looking through some of the things, I thought, I want to know something about this author. He explained how he had been raised a Presbyterian, trained in Calvinistic teachings that men were either elected to salvation or they were elected to damnation. But he left that. He became a Baptist due to his study in the Scripture on dispensations. That there are different ages that God has dealt with man. And we talk about the Adamic age. We talk about the flood age, the age of Noah. We talk about the patriarchal age, the ages of Abraham, and then of Israel. Now we're in that age of the church. And then, as we've seen, the thousand years, we're going to go back. We're going to look a little more at that. The thousand year reign, the millennial reign. And then the final age, the heaven age. So it was in studying that he recognized, wait a minute, these people have it right. We need to stay close to the scripture. Because there was a man that came on the scene by the name of Augustine and he came around 400 AD. Before that, all of our church fathers, the early church fathers, from the very beginning, they believed in what they call the premillennial view. All that saying is that We believe that Christ comes. He returns to earth. All of the saved have been taken up. We've been raptured. We've been changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And then Christ, as we return with Him, He puts an end to the battle of Armageddon. He begins to rule and reign for a thousand years. That's the premillennial view. For Augustine, no one ever thought of any other view. And I think that that's because that's a biblical view. We're going to see that this morning. By the way, Augustine brought in a lot of different ideas. He was the one that brought in the idea of purgatory, of praying to saints, praying to Mary. Having been raised Roman Catholic, I was trained up in all of those things. That's what you should do. That's what church was about. But I think if we just get back to the simple scriptures... We just stay with the Word of God. Then all those other things just kind of fall off. If others get caught up in those things, well, we'll pray for them and we'll try to encourage them and build them up in the Word of God. We certainly don't want to belittle them. Although I do believe we have the truth and I do believe we're right. (laughs) But we don't want to browbeat people. We want to encourage them just in the simple truths of God's Word. Well, I hope that in reading through this book, the book of Revelation, I hope that things have become clear to you that the symbolism and everything that we have looked at and the symbols and the actual events makes it clear that we are living in the last days. We are living in those dangerous days where we're seeing danger more and more. We've seen the violence increase in our land expediently. And not only in our land, but it's happening worldwide. And all of different things that we see, because these are the birth pangs for the coming of Christ. Our world is thinking about the first coming, when Christ came in a manger. The Creator, the one who spoke, And this world came into being and here he is lying in a manger in a horse trough in the feed bin. Because they had nowhere else to live. The king of kings and now we're going to see that final position. Because in all of the book of Revelation we see Christ revealed. Our world is thinking about that babe in a manger 
And you know what? Oftentimes, babies aren't convicting. They're, they're warm, they're cuddly, you don't feel bad. But when we see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, then we recognize, oh, His righteous, great, almighty God that He is. And we'll recognize His true position. That's why the book of Revelation has been given to reveal Jesus Christ so that we see Him full and complete. If you have your Bible, open them please to chapter 20 and verses 4 through 6 because we're going to begin looking at some things that will affect us in the future. If you are a child of God, you're going to be included in this. Look what he says, And I saw thrones, and they who sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness of Jesus Christ, and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his marks on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Here's that thousand year reign, that millennial reign. As we see evil kind of permeating society, evil thinking I'm just amazed, Sylvia and I were talking about it doesn't seem like we're living in a God-fearing land anymore. People no longer fear God. But when you read this book, when we receive some of those things, we should be encouraged to have a healthy, reverent fear of God. We should be drawn back to recognize He is a gracious and a loving God. But to those that still hold on to their own ways, how sad, how awesome this God is. When Jesus is going to end it all, evil might look like it's winning, but God is in control. All that we've seen over and over is that Christ is in control. Well, why does he do a thousand years? Why not, after the battle of Armageddon, just go into this new heaven and new earth that we read about in chapter 21? Why a thousand years? And I've been pondering that idea throughout this last week, but I believe it's because God's promises are all going to be fulfilled through the Scripture. That Abraham and all of Israel is going to receive the land grant. And Israel is going to be the great nation that they had been promised. All of animals, nature will be changed. Remember the lamb and the lion laying down together? Well, I guess I should get off on stories about snakes. Not all snakes are so evil. We had one where I worked in the carpenter shop up at Mule Creek. And we had this one little king snake. He just couldn't wait for you to pick him up because... He loved the warmth of the human body. <laughs> he wanted you to pick him up so that he would just cuddle up to you. And I've never seen a snake want to cuddle, but this snake wanted to cuddle. But the nature of animals will be changed. They won't be that like it was. You won't have the wolf trying to track down and, you know, kill its prey. And, and all of the various animals, their nature has changed. And so they'll no longer be afraid. They'll no longer run away from you, but they'll be something that's very different. Well, all of God's promises are going to be fulfilled during this time. All of His covenant promises. 
Hi, give me a moment to update you with a bit of information. You can reach us now at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com. You can also reach us at P.O. Box 837, Valley Springs, California, 95252. Please contact us with comments, questions, or to receive handouts and printed material. We look forward to hearing from you. Now, back to the podcast. But the millennial reign will also reveal something about man's heart. It reveals man's own rebellion in his heart because there will be no Satan to blame. Satan is bound for a thousand years. As a matter of fact, we see that on chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So he's held. So man cannot say, the devil made me do it. He can't blame anyone else. It comes from his own heart. And there are people that will be in their natural body. Isaiah says that they, there's no more stillborn and there there's no early deaths. Everyone lives to about 100 years during that millennial reign. Well, there at the release of Satan at the end of the thousand years, it shows that Christ is invulnerable to attack. He is invulnerable. Nothing can touch him. Because it says in chapter 20, verse 7, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan is released from his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So you see, the heart of man is still the same. And as soon as Satan comes on the scene, what do they do? They run off. There still is rebellion in the natural heart of man. That's why we need the new birth. That's why we need the grace of God to change us, to turn us. Because all of a sudden Satan comes on the scene and people run after him. And people in their natural bodies still go after him. But Christ is invulnerable. All he does is have to speak. All the Father does is speak and it's done. They don't even begin to get an inroad. There's no way that it even begins to touch to bring about any sort of a lasting rebellion. Well, millennium serves as a long period that requires us and those in their natural bodies to be prepared for the eternal age. Consider that. We will be prepared in this thousand years in kind of a house cleaning sense. This world's going to be changed. The world's different. The nature of animals is different. But He's really preparing us for eternity with Him. He's really doing something for our benefit and getting us ready for an eternal age. Because the new heavens and the new earth that we're going to see in this ongoing study, they are so amazing we cannot understand all that God has. We're going to talk about that. But you know what? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. That's to say there's 
a longing in the heart for man to have eternal life without this hope of life after death, without the hope of eternity, without the hope of heaven, life is reduced to nothing. And Shakespeare says it in Macbeth, that after the death of the queen, he says, a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. I thought that went well. It's just nothing. Without the hope of eternity, all is vanity, Ecclesiastes says. Why? Because we are of two parts. We are of the inside and the outside, if you would, to simplify things. We have this physical body that lays down, that goes back to the dust of the earth, but then there is that spiritual person, that soulish being. And so we see the inside is really kind of two parts. We have the mental capabilities, all of those different things that we've learned, but there's also a spirit in which God has set eternity in our hearts that longs to be in fellowship with Him. And we can't really divide that soul and spirit. We can't see that difference, but God knows it. Sometimes you just feel something in your spirit and you know that it was just, I've got to do this because it's driving me. And it's not maybe something that you can intellectually bring out, but it's a spiritual thing. And it's hard to sometimes discern that. That's why Hebrews 12 says that in heaven are the souls of just men made perfect. We'll be complete. We have everything we need. We'll be mature. We have all of that. So when a person dies, their spirit, we know, goes to be with the Lord today. We know that for the child of God, when you lay down in death, that old body is just gone. There's that separation. And we are immediately in the presence of Christ. And we call that heaven. And that's where we go now. But there's going to be a new heaven. Even greater. Even beyond what we can imagine and think. And that's why the Lord is preparing us. And so the anticipation of the future life is very important. The anticipation of heaven is the only reality that can make life here and now have any lasting meaning. The world's looking at Christmas. It's a beautiful time. But we can use that to encourage people to see it's preparing us for eternity. Christ came to prepare us for eternity. Christ came to prepare us for the end of this book, the end of the Bible. I'm just amazed at how it ends up, how encouraging, how beautiful it is because Revelation is the end. And we come to the conclusion of the Bible. We come to this description of heaven. God's final word to us is, here is what heaven will be like. Isn't that a wonderful way to close out his book? He closes out and he says, this is what I have in store for you. And we're going to talk about the no longers and no mores. The no mores is just another way to describe what we can't really understand here and now. But here's the place, here's the sphere, here's the habitation, here's the experience the saints of God are going to have forever. And the Bible closes with this dramatic and wondrous presentation, the reality of heaven. I've heard preachers of old, and I love to listen to old time preachers, these old recordings, and they were preaching on heaven and preaching on hell. And they were all fire brimstone, all fired up. 
And here we have seen both. We've seen the first resurrection, that Christ is the first fruits, and we see the second death. Oh, how sad for those in the second death. That's separation. That is death. We'll talk about that a little bit more. We're going to try to get into some of this just a little bit. We've seen something, and I promised last week we would talk a little more. It's found in chapter 19, in verses 7, 8, and 9. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so before we get into the real ending and the conclusion of all of this great book, I want us to see things that the Lord has prepared because this also, we see it in chapter 21, but in chapter 19, verse 7, 8, and 9, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. The marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a special, close relationship with Christ. We just studied about from Corinthians and 1 Corinthians chapter 9, how that we should be running the race, striving for masteries, running to win the crown. And that's kind of the idea of this. Who will be in the bride? I don't know. I wish I could tell you exactly who was going to make up the bride. I think it will be faithful saints of the New Testament church. I think that's who it's going to be made up. I think because the Lord had this covenant position with His New Testament church, just as He had a position with Israel. By the way, Israel is the friend. They are the big brother in the bride and the marriage. They have a place there. But even John the Baptist isn't there. John was the friend of the bridegroom. The best man as we might consider. And you might think, well, if John the Baptist isn't in the bride, who could be in the bride? I think there have been plenty of faithful followers through the many years that have their hearts prepared. I've known some... Dear old people that uh, they were just prayer warriors. They just loved to fellowship and, and, and talk to the Lord. I wonder if they're going to be in that special place. Or maybe as I read some of the biographies of our forefathers that just gave their lives willingly and freely. Millions and millions of them that would not deny Jesus Christ, but stood as a testimony, maybe they'll be in the bride. I don't know exactly who will be in the bride, but we do know that Jesus receives glory through His churches, and it will end up that the Lord is going to choose His bride. And will any of us be there? I don't know. But I hope you make it. Amen. I hope that we can make it. It's made up of His true church. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.